Welcome to the McQuaid Arcade Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Biggs. On this episode, we're talking about the most revolutionary video game system you've never heard of. Give up my Atari? My television? How about for this? You bet your asteroid. Introducing the revolutionary Vectrex arcade system. No TV set needed. Instead, Vectrex has a real arcade screen built in. So you get challenging real arcade graphics and sounds with every Vectrex cartridge. No wonder Vectrex was chosen two to one over Atari and Intellivision for real arcade gameplay. So compare. Discover how Vectrex brings real arcade play home. In a sea of clones and copycats, the Vectrex was a true standout set to shake up the video game industry when it hit the market in late 1982. Unfortunately for the Vectrex, though, by that time, the party was nearly over for the American home video game industry. Now, we've discussed the great video game market crash of 1983 before, but it's a fascinating story, and it plays a big part in the story of the revolutionary but short-lived system we're talking about today. So, let's recap it. The Atari VCS, or Video Computer System, which would eventually be renamed the Atari 2600, the name most listeners probably know it by in all its faux-wood panel glory, hit stores in 1977. And while it certainly wasn't the first home video game system, or even the first one to use interchangeable cartridges for its games, it's safe to say that the mainstream success of the 2600 played a huge part in the boom the home video game market saw in the late 70s and early 80s. By the time big-name arcade games like Space Invaders and Pac-Man were playable on home systems just a few years later, games were suddenly a multi-billion dollar industry. But almost as quickly as the popularity of home video game systems exploded, the market experienced a devastating crash and was all but dead by the end of 1983. And a lot of the blame for that fell on Atari, the very company that helped home video games really break into the mainstream. While there were a bunch of great games on the Atari 2600, including some some we still enjoy playing to this very day, as a matter of fact, just last night, Biggs, I was sitting outside of my kid's piano lesson waiting for him to finish. And I played a solid 30 minutes or so of Pitfall 2. Classic. Even though there were a ton of great games, there was next to no oversight or quality control as pretty much anybody could make games for the system, which led to a glut of terrible games quickly shoveled out onto the Atari 2600. Ooh, and I like that word. It conjures in my mind the term shovelware. And PC Magazine notes, quote, the many extra programs pre-installed on some PCs that offer little value, they are shoveled in without regard to quality. Shovelware first appeared in the late 1980s when tons of shareware programs were copied onto CD-ROMs and advertised in magazines or sold at computer flea markets. The term also applies to collections of video games that have little value as well as multiple software titles sold as a bundle, also called crapware. Oh, the crapware was a flowin', my friend, as far <laughs> as the eye could see back then. Uh, there was also a confusing number of consoles on the market at the time, some of which were just clones of the Atari 2600. Eventually, between all of this, consumers just had enough, and because Atari was by far the best-selling of the consoles during that time, they kind of took the entire market down with them. The fact that other popular systems at the time, like the ColecoVision and Intellivision, had much tighter quality control over their games didn't save them. By the end of 1983, they were all... Dinosaurs facing down the meteor that would lead to their extinction. The rise in availability and affordability of home personal computers right around this time didn't do the game industry any favors either. After all, it was hard to justify buying a game console when you could get a computer that could play games and, you know, help little Billy with his homework. So by 1984, games and systems that once flew off retail shelves gathered dust in clearance bins across America. So 
Needless to say, November of 1982, with the Doomsday Clock at almost midnight, (laughs) not the best time to release a new video game system. But unlike all the other players already on the scene, as great as some of them were, the Vectrex was something truly unique. For the first time ever, it promised true arcade graphics, albeit a very specific kind of graphics, to the home gaming market. Now, I keep specifying that we're talking about the home video game market here because arcades were largely unaffected by the market crash that we're talking about. But before the bubble burst, arcades were a big driver of the home video game market. The ability to save your quarters and play the arcade games you love so much from your couch was amazing, theoretically. Anyway, there was a huge range in quality when it came to these console arcade ports. On one end... Of that range, you had the pretty miserable version of Pac-Man on the Atari 2600, which we both had and played a lot (laughs) (laughs) because it's not very good as it was, you know, when you're a seven-year-old back in 1982, as we were at the end of the day, playing Pac-Man was better than not playing Pac-Man, right? Totally. In terms of high profile games that left consumers particularly disappointed back then, the two that usually get mentioned are this particular version of Pac-Man and E.T., both for the Atari 2600. Then, on the other end of the spectrum, there were some genuinely pretty impressive home versions of arcade games like Donkey Kong on the ColecoVision. You know, a while back, I did a fun little bonus episode of McQuaid Arcade all about Donkey Kong. It's one of my favorite games ever, and I talked about how disappointing most of the home versions were before the Nintendo version hit stores with the NES in 1985. And looking back, I don't think I gave the Coleco version enough credit. The graphics and animation are really nice. It's a good-looking version of the game that plays really well. As good as it was, though, that version of Donkey Kong didn't look exactly like the arcade game, but it was about as close as you could get to playing an arcade game at home, at least until a company called GCE released the Vectrex with its built-in vector graphics monitor. Now, the built-in monitor was a cool selling point, not just because of the special kind of graphics it could deliver, but... A built-in monitor also meant that unlike every other console on the market, the Vectrex was not going to compete for time on the family television in the living room. You could play it anywhere in the house or even out of the house. I remember one day when I was a little kid playing my Vectrex like I did pretty much nonstop while I had one. My mom came up to me and told me to go play outside. And I was like, okay. And I picked up my Vectrex and brought it outside. And she found me like an hour later sitting at our (laughs) picnic table out in our backyard Playing my Vectrex. You independently invented portable gaming on that day. (laughs) Semi-portable, at the very least. Uh, I had to go find a long extension cord to actually (laughs) plug it in and play it. But uh, I don't think that's what my mom mom meant. Anyway, so the built-in monitor was a huge deal. And not just because of the graphics it was capable of delivering. Before we go any further... For those who don't know, why don't we take a moment, Biggs, to talk a little bit about those graphics, what the term vector graphics actually means, because that's a big part of understanding what made the Vectrex so special. Yes, indeed. Let's dive into the world of vector graphics. They shimmered into life long before the Vectrex gaming system did, but Vectrex remains one of the most enduring examples of their brilliance. So when we think about pixels, which are actually short for picture elements, these are the tiny squares we know and love. They represent the basic building blocks of any kind of modern display technology. When we talk about resolution, we are actually discussing the number of pixels arranged horizontally and vertically on a screen. For example, 1920 by 1080 resolution 
resolution means there are literally 1,920 pixels horizontally across the screen and 1,080 pixels vertically. That's 1080p. By the way, 4K is 3840 by 2160. So vector graphics take an entirely different path and quite literally use math to connect points and draw shapes. In an era where pixels ruled the roost, and they still do largely, the bright, crisp vector lines and shapes of Vectrex cut a clear image against the black backdrop of the screen and into our hearts. Because these paths are mathematically calculated, smooth scaling and rotation are possible. In gaming, this technology was revolutionary because it allowed for magnificent neon lines that were eye-piercingly bright and clear, and yet had more fluid motion compared to the blocky, pixelated images of early raster-based games. The Vectrex display was built in, of course, and was essentially a cathode ray tube, or CRT, like those found in oscilloscopes. This technology allowed the Vectrex to render images by directly manipulating the electron beam inside the CRT, drawing lines across the screen to connect points, instead of scanning lines horizontally as we see in a traditional television CRT. While there are many strengths, this technology also had its quirks. Limited colors, in fact, Vectrex was technically monochrome, just bright white, and severe limitations on the style of art given that everything had to be rendered with essentially a countable number of polygons. The brightness of the lines could also vary depending on their length and the speed at which the electron beam moved. So longer lines, they actually appeared dimmer than shorter ones because it had to move faster and kind of distribute that. Additionally, the refresh rate had to be carefully managed to avoid flickering. Videogamecritic.com sums up the limitations nicely. Quote, one drawback to vector graphics is that they tend to flicker when a multitude of objects are on the screen, but this is not noticeable in most Vectrex games. The system's primary flaw, a lack of color, was half-heartedly addressed by colored overlays included with most games that fit over the screen. These didn't add much to the experience and are difficult to locate today, unquote. I would personally disagree with that last point about the overlays not adding much to the experience. So when you bought a Vectrex game, you got the cartridge and the manual, like any other game, but you also got a 9 by 11 inch colored plastic translucent overlay that fit over the Vectrex monitor. And yes, these were a way to add color to the naturally monochromatic games, but to me... They also enhanced the arcade feel of the system. They were full of artwork, including the, the particular game's logo. And they felt like the bezels you'd see surrounding the screens of arcade games. And sure, you could totally play any of the games without them. But for me, they were an, an important part of the ritual of playing the Vectrex. And yes, original vintage overlays are hard to find, especially in good condition. I can only imagine most kids weren't particularly careful with them and just you know, sort of frisbeed them into a pile on the floor <laughs> when they switched games like I did. Um, there are, however, actually modern reproductions that you can get online that look great. Oh, I love that. Yes, it's awesome. People love making stuff for the system. We're going to talk about that in a bit. The most well-known example of an arcade game to sort of help you picture what the graphics look like that uses vector graphics is Asteroids. Think of Asteroids, no colors, just bright white glowing lines against a black background, other well-known games that used vector graphics back then were Tempest, Battlezone, which was a fun tank game, and of course, the amazing original Star Wars arcade game that we both love. Now, those games with their vector graphics would seem like no-brainers to appear on the Vectrex, right? But none of them actually did. Not officially, anyway. Many of them are playable on the Vectrex now, thanks to the incredible homebrew scene, uh, which I definitely want to talk about, like I said. But there were great vector versions of some popular non-vector arcade games on the Vectrex, stuff like Scramble and Pole Position, and my probably my favorite Vectrex game to this day, Berserk, 
And while Asteroids wasn't officially on the system, the Vectrex did come with a fantastic built-in game called Mindstorm that was very similar. As we mentioned, the Vectrex was released by a company called GCE, General Consumer Electronics, after they acquired it from a company called Smith Engineering, a firm that specialized in electronic toys. In 1979, they created a handheld gaming system called the Microvision, which was manufactured and sold by toy maker Milton Bradley, who would actually go on to play an important part in the story of the Vectrex down the line. The Vectrex itself, if I had to describe it for someone who hasn't seen it, probably most closely resembles the original Macintosh computer, right? The old beige one with the built-in monitor, but the Vectrex is black and its monitor is quite a bit bigger. It's a vertical monitor, not squarish, like all the TVs, the other gaming systems of the day would have been hooked up to, which was just kind of a, you know, another neat aspect of the system that makes it so unique. And the joystick, which was analog, unlike the Atari 2600's digital joystick, had four buttons, and unlike other console controllers at the time, was really meant to be set on a tabletop and played like an arcade control panel. And it's stored in the front of the Vectrex, making the system look really sleek and cool, making the whole thing truly self-contained, especially considering the fact, like I said, it had a built-in game. But game cartridges are loaded into a slot on the side of the machine. Depending on what country you bought your Vectrex in, it would have different colored branding decals on it as well. Here in the U.S., we get the kind of retro-futuristic gray Vectrex logo that GCE came up with. In the U.K., the Vectrex had the more fun and colorful and almost toy-like blue and red Milton Bradley branding on it. After seeing the promise in the system, Milton Bradley actually bought GCE in 1983 and released the Vectrex under its own branding in the U.K. And in Japan, the Vectrex had a very cool neon green branding created by legendary toy and eventually video game maker Bandai, who was chosen to handle the distribution of the system there. Unfortunately, despite the fact that the Japanese home video game market didn't collapse the way ours did here in America, the Vectrex still did not do very well at all in Japan. Of course, growing up, we only ever saw the original GCE logo and branding, so it's very cool now to be able to see what the Vectrex looked like around the world. Now, there's a realistic computer game that you play at home. Presenting the revolutionary Vectrex computer system. The laser-sharp visual effects on Vectrex are possible because Vectrex has a real arcade screen built in. No TV set needed, so every Vectrex cartridge gives you real arcade gameplay at home. Vectrex, from Milton Bradley. It stands alone. Now... You and I, Biggs, we play a lot of old games. We are retro gamers, for sure. I mean, we play new games too, of course, but between the two of us, we must have, what, like eight to ten different devices on which we regularly play emulated retro classic games. Games from the Atari 2600, old arcade games, Nintendo games, and all these devices, handhelds and our laptops, they do an amazing job of playing all these old games. So... You know, with this kind of access to these old games, literally anywhere we go, we don't really feel the need to own any actual vintage gaming hardware. And all of our retro gaming systems can technically emulate the Vectrex. But unlike all those other systems that we love so much, emulation just does not do the vector-based graphics of the Vectrex justice. And as we said earlier, part of the magic of the Vectrex was the form factor of the system itself. Because when you played it, you weren't playing on a screen that was used for anything else. You weren't playing on a Nintendo hooked up to the TV or an Atari hooked up to the TV. You were playing on a Vectrex, period. Unlike all the other systems that we grew up with and loved, with the Vectrex, the hardware was as big a part of the experience as the games you were playing on it. So that's why 
I wanted to get one. This is a case where the medium truly matters. Unlike those other old systems, you just can't capture the magic of the Vectrex without the actual hardware. The glow of those vector graphics on the Vectrex monitor is like the, the warm crackle of a vinyl record, which we still listen to in my house. My wife has a great little collection of vinyl records. And yeah, she plays stuff on Spotify and Amazon Music just like everybody else. But the analog sound of a needle on a record it just it hits different, as the kids say. Do they, though? Do the kids say that? <laughs> I don't know. I know my wife listens to records. That's, that's what I know. <laughs> she is totally not alone. I read a statistic recently on Music Week that said the vinyl market in 2023 experienced tremendous growth with an 11.7% year-on-year rise to 5.9 million units. Something is going on, and I really think we're in a movement, and it has something to do with tangible nostalgia. For some things, having the actual physical objects really makes all the difference. I mean, to some degree, we're collectors. Collections are fun, they're interesting, they're even educational. They allow people to build a hobby around something, and with this comes both lifestyle shifts as well as cultural opportunities. Historically, people have collected lots of things from seashells to books to baseball cards, but in the 80s, we saw a tremendous explosion of collecting media in particular. Record collections of the 70s and early 80s began to morph into CD collections, and you were leading the way as we've talked about before. VHS tapes eventually converted into DVDs, but it was part of the same movement to build and curate a collection of objects that not only gave somebody pleasure, but also defined them to some degree. I remember proudly displaying my movies and books and games because each one had special meaning and represented something. With the move to all digital and more importantly to everything on demand always with subscription models, this has been all but lost. So it's kind of heartwarming, but also a little bit sad that people have gone back into prior eras to seek collectibles. Stamp collecting, to coin collecting, to collecting retro vinyl, this is all fascinating to me. Now, audio equipment in the 1970s, and honestly into the 80s and even beyond, was a sign of sophistication, elegance, and of course wealth. Audiophiles, usually self-proclaimed, can be insufferable, but, but they are also often pretty smart and generally are pushing technologies forward. And that's sort of cool, at least to me. Back then, at least, it was a way for techies to be techies before there was a whole lot of available technology. Computers and the internet have completely revolutionized this, and they've also democratized the ability to get good information and learn about hobbies, which is really cool. My recent interest in vintage digital cameras, although I know that sounds ridiculous, also plays into this. And I think this trend is going to continue. You sent me a hilarious meme recently that summarizes all of this perfectly. It's two middle-aged guys looking at a very elaborate hi-fi setup with record players and amplifiers and huge speakers. And the caption says, the two things that really drew me to vinyl were the expense and the inconvenience. (laughs) It's funny and it's true, right? The lesson that I think we're learning is that the journey really is a big part of the experience. It's not just the destination. And by forcing, well, maybe that's too strong, by inviting us to invest more time, money, energy, thought, it actually means more. It's worth more to us. That's kind of strange and beautiful, isn't it? It is beautiful. And there's absolutely something special about the intentionality of taking a specific album out of its sleeve and playing it or or picking out a specific Vectrex game cartridge, putting media into a a device and playing it versus digitally having every game or song ever made at your fingertips and just hitting play. Ever since my wife started collecting records, my family will sit and listen to music together. Like, sit there and enjoy it versus it being just sort of 
in the background, the way it is when we play stuff digitally on the various smart speakers in our house. My kids know how to put an album on the turntable and we'll just hang out and listen the same way. They love picking out a Vectrex game and its overlay and sitting there and having a very intentional experience with a game on it. Speaking of games, the Vectrex library was pretty modest. Only 28 games were ever officially released for it. There was a lot of variety in that lineup, though. Some of my favorites, as I mentioned, were specialized Vectrex vector versions of arcade games of the day, like Pole Position and Berserk and Scramble. Then we had some games that were clearly inspired by some of the more popular arcade games that weren't on the Vectrex. You have Mindstorm. As I mentioned, the built-in Asteroids-like game that starts up if you turn on the system without a cartridge in it. And another game for the system that I love is is one of the many, many games heavily inspired by Pac-Man that came out in the early 80s. Probably my favorite one, in fact. It's called Clean Sweep, and instead of pellets, you're going around a maze collecting cash. And the neat little twist this game adds is that your little vacuum guy, or whatever you're supposed to be, fills up after a while. And you can't collect any more money until you deposit what you've got in the vault in the middle of the screen. That is cool. I also want to give a quick shout out to Casey Munchkin, the Pac-Man ripoff that I had for our Philips Magnavox Odyssey 2 home console right around the same time. Yes, probably the most well-known Pac-Man clone, right? Casey Munchkin. And of course, there's also a video version of Pinball, which seems like it was a requirement for old systems back then. On the Vectrex, it's called Spinball. And there were plenty of original games for the system too, like Spike, a platformer starring a cute little spiky guy that probably could have gone on to be a good mascot for the system had it been around longer. While the official lineup, as we said, only consisted of 28 games, there are many more than that available for play now thanks to the incredibly dedicated Vectrex homebrew community. Now, I haven't played a ton of the stuff these brilliant people have put together, mostly because my goal in getting a Vectrex was to kind of recreate my childhood experience with the system. But dedicated fans have put out both new, original games, and rediscovered previously unreleased stuff like this really ambitious fantasy game called Dark Tower, which was apparently inspired by the electronic Milton Bradley board game of the same name. I did get that because it it seems so cool, and it's pretty amazing to see the kind of more in-depth experience that the system was actually capable of. There's also a lot of other just weird, cool stuff that people have made for the system. I have this multi-cart with a bunch of music on it, as well as games, And I was so excited to find one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite bands on the cartridge. I got to tell you, if there's anything more 80s than listening to Blondie's 1980 hit, Call Me, on a vintage Vectrex from 1982, (laughs) I'm not sure what it is. The realm of computers and video games is often marked by a prevailing skepticism regarding the practical utility and lasting relevance of specialized gaming peripherals and add-ons. Historically, many of these devices have fallen short of expectations, to, to put it mildly, leading to their categorization as commercial failures. This pattern is evident in a long and distinguished lineage of unsuccessful products ranging from the Power Glove to the Sega 32X. Remarkably, the Vectrex had its own peripherals, which unfortunately conformed to this trend of underwhelming performance and limited market impact. I didn't even know about one of them until just the other day. The first one was the Vectrex Light Pen. 
if I didn't know about this from our childhood, I, I would honestly think that this was a modern addition. It seems like it's from the future. The light pen literally lets you draw on the screen. It was released in 1983. It only had three or four games. So putting it in perspective, the Vectrex was priced at about $199 in 1982, which is about $630 today. And the games were each $35 back then, which is about a hundred bucks per per game per today, which is crazy. But try as I might, I couldn't actually find the original MSRP of the light pen, perhaps because it was launched just as the crash began and probably those prices plummeted as it found itself in those bins. But it is a sight to behold and an ergonomic nightmare to be able to draw on the screen and make images. The website Hackaday has a deep dive into how it works and it's really remarkable and remarkably simple as a piece of technology. The basic idea is that the pen is a simple photo detector. When you hold it up to a conventional raster screen, there's a flying dot that is zooming along the screen line by line. And given the timing of the light detection, it knows exactly where the pen is positioned. Well, this works great for raster screens, but we already mentioned that Vectrex was a decidedly different technology. For this vector-based approach, there was a very clever workaround. There was a target dot on the screen that could be picked up by the pen. So you put it over it, and then the photo detector said, okay, you're on the dot. Then... Another tiny dot flew around it in a circle like a satellite orbiting a planet. Crossing the dot as it flew around the circle would, similar to the way it works with raster images, tell it which direction one was moving, and voila. It's cool because you can see as you pull the pen away from the screen that the pattern enlarges and looks a lot like a spider web growing as it tries to find the pen again and again. Really neat. The four games that came out for it were Art Master, Melody Master, it lets you compose rudimentary music, Anim Action, more advanced animation, and Mailplane, an edutainment geography game that is shrouded in mystery as it was never officially released, but apparently a prototype has made it into the world and people have played it and explored it. The second peripheral was the Vectrex 3D Imager. The box boldly states that it is the, quote, high-performance accessory that transports gameplay into the third dimension, unquote, and in an era with pretty sophisticated 3D virtual reality headsets, it is wild to see something that is a primitive version of these, the great-great-great-grandpappy. The website Nicole Express has a beautiful breakdown with the history of this approach to both the 3D effect and, and for the ability to add color. There's also a modern version that was made by Madtronics in Sweden. It looks decidedly less cool, but it's much easier to see what's going on and it's actually available. You can, you can buy it today. Basically, it is a motor with a spinning disc in front of individual windows for your eyes to see the screen. The disc spins in a way that's timed to occlude one eye while the image for the other eye is on the screen, then vice versa while the image, slightly shifted to give the stereoscopic effect, is on the screen. That's the simplest version, but the Vectrex one had a red, green, and blue gel that again, with clever timing, could show you certain vectors through those specific colors, and even mixtures of these primary colors if timed correctly. And that is sort of mind-boggling. Truly ahead of its time, in a bunch of ways, the Vectrex was this very intentionally crafted experience, right? As we've said, all the thought and decisions that went into making it the amazing piece of hardware that it is. But one of its most iconic characteristics was definitely not intentional, but nonetheless part of an authentic Vectrex experience, and that's the buzz, the distinctive buzzing sound that the Vectrex makes when powered on, I think is safe to say was not uh, a feature. It's not like when they unveiled it at the Consumer Electronics Show here in Chicago in 1982. You know, they weren't like, 
And as you'll see, it emits a very loud buzzing sound, which most <laughs> video game enthusiasts prefer. Yes, it's very loud. Definitely not. Not intentional. I've read a bit online about it, and it seems like it's caused, this buzzing sound is caused by improper shielding on certain cables inside the system, I think. And, you know, because the Vectrex has such an amazing community of fans and enthusiasts out there, not only are there a bunch of homebrew games available for it, there are hardware modifications out there as well. Everything from new custom joysticks and control pads, which we have some of, to special components that actually eliminate or reduce the buzzing noise that the system naturally makes. I haven't looked into them because as I said, I'm looking to sort of recreate the experience I had with the Vectrex as a kid and the buzz is just sort of part of it. Personally, I find it endearing. I would imagine a lot of people find it not so endearing, but hey, judge for yourself. Follow McQuaid Arcade on Instagram and you'll see that we've posted some cool videos and photos of our Vectrex system. You can see the games in action, see how it works, hear the buzz, and enjoy all of the other fun stuff that we like to post on social media. Will you be glad you did? You bet your asteroids. You bet your asteroids. You will. (laughs) That's our new catchphrase, by the way. Get used to it. During his keynote announcing the original iPhone, Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, quoted legendary computer scientist Alan Kay, quote, people who are really serious about software should make their own hardware, unquote. The Vectrex, very much like the Macintosh computer that would launch some two years later, took this deeply to heart. Software, the programs, the apps, the games are key, of course. That's what comes with us as we upgrade hardware and switch devices. That's what we live in. That is what we emulate on our modern machines. But software is not everything. The look, the feel, the sounds, and even the smells associated with a piece of kit, that is undeniably part of the experience. The Vectrex was and still is a masterpiece of hardware and software coming together to make something that gets our hearts pumping. Akin to the timeless principles of Dieter Rams from Braun Design, the Vectrex aesthetics and functionality resonate with an ethos of simplicity, usefulness, and style. It strips away the non-essential until what remains is every bit as functional as it is visually and tactilely satisfying. This philosophy is woven deeply into the fabric of the Vectrex experience. It is a testament to the lasting impact of design that prioritizes the harmony of hardware and software, speaking directly to the user without needing a word. And on that note, stay limber. (laughs) 